values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Here we go, rolling into the final hour of the show. We've got, uh, did you hear this coming up in, in about 15 minutes from right now? Um, but um, why is it important? The conversation about schools continues with me. I always talk about it. I hate the politics of education. But we are seeing huge um, results, negative results, in our children with the shutdown of schools and COVID. Um, we all made mistakes. Uh, every state made mistakes. The nation made mistakes. And many times they were made with the best information they had at the time. Sometimes it was people we kept hearing, follow the science, listen to the science. Well, the science said one thing and the schools did another. And um, I will tell you because I still follow. Let me grab my trusty um, legal pad. Uh, just to give you an update, and I do this every week on Wednesday, the state of Arizona still updates their numbers on COVID. And I do number of cases each week. There were 4,000 cases this past week. Um, there were 23 deaths, deaths recorded statewide that were COVID-related. Now, again, we don't know. I still don't know the answer. If these people died with COVID or from COVID, there's a difference. But I want you to understand the difference here with young people. We're talking, and they break the age groups down under 20 years old. So that's a pretty big demographic, but everybody under the age of 20. Then 20 to 44, 45 to 54, 55 to 64, and then 65 plus. So the older and younger uh, demographics are big groups as well. The under 20 crowd, uh, there have been a total of 7,110 hospitalizations. That seems like a lot, 7,000, right? Compared to the over 65 group that has over 62,500. There have been 81 deaths, 81 deaths related to COVID in the under 20 demo. We're talking about kids because we're going to talk about schools in a moment. 81 deaths since the recording of COVID deaths attributed to kids 20, under the age of 20. There have been over 24,000 over the age of 65. Yet, we put the most restrictions on young kids, even when it was crystal clear to all of the experts that two things were happening. There were detrimental effects from the separation of kids from their friends and from any kind of socialization. And the other was they were the least likely to be severely ill when coming in contact with COVID-19. So people ask this question quite a bit. Why were they not listening? Because originally the president of the United States was saying, if you remember, before Biden was going into office, an early time in office, the policies of the Biden administration were going to be to open the schools as soon as possible. They reversed course. Now, the question about this has to do with teachers unions, the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers and the NEA, the National Educators Association, are the two largest teachers unions nationally. And the AFT's leader is Randy Weingarten. She was testifying before a congressional committee. And they talked with her about the did you speak to the Biden administration or the new CDC director about school closures. What essentially happened, sir, was that we were talking to the Biden transition team before he was sworn into office. 
Okay. And we... Did they reach out to you? Yes, the they reached out. No, the Biden transition team reached out to us. Okay. And Did that include the next CDC director? Um, not... Uh, or anybody who went to work for CDC? I don't... I, I, you know something? I'm sh- I, I don't want to speculate... So the reason why I think this is a major deal is because you were asking people what their opinions are on opening schools and you're saying you were talking to people at the CDC. They helped form this policy. Is there any doubt in anyone's minds? And here in Arizona, the weird thing about it here in Arizona is the teacher organizations, even when our governor was in favor of opening schools again and schools began to open again, the teachers forced shutdown with sick outs. This happened. Now, there are a lot of teachers, and you've got to be able to separate, and I apologize that I go so in the weeds with this, and I'm going to try not to, but this is an important designation. When I say teachers, it isn't all teachers. There were many teachers that were, I had especially teachers that taught special needs students. I had a teacher that would talk to me about this in tears, because of what it was doing to her special needs students and that they needed to be in their classes, that they were falling so far behind, the negative effects it was having on them and what a horrible thing it was to do to these kids to shut down the schools. And I heard from so many teachers that wanted to be back in the classroom. So when I say teachers, I'm talking about the teachers union in Arizona, which isn't really a union, but they want to be, and their association with Randy Weingarten, and the American Federation of Teachers. And I will tell you that there is no love lost between me and the teachers' organizations in Arizona. I have nothing against them personally. They can't stand me. And I will promise you this. If I were lying about anything that I'm saying, when I tell you I've got videos and I've got Zoom calls and I've got flyers, if I didn't have them and I couldn't produce them if I needed to, I guarantee you they would be hauling me into court and suing this radio station and suing me if I were lying. I am not lying. We've got videos of people that worked uh, very closely with the teachers union admitting in a video that went out they thought to just their little private group that said it's a sick out. We can't call it a sick out because that's against the law, but we all know what it is. There are Zoom calls going on where the AFT is planning with other uh, agencies, you know, other unions and other group teacher groups across the country and how they were going to keep schools closed and how they were going to get their message out, including this week of protest I've talked about so many times. And a lot of the protests that they did here in Arizona were uh, programs that were going on around the country that were fostered and started by the AFT. This organization kept the schools closed. Now, if they want to say we fought for school closures because we thought it was in the best interest of the child and it may have turned out that that wasn't the case, that would be one thing. But to try to change history and act like we were just responding, no, they weren't. They were a part of the decision-making process. And the other part of this absurdity is that the teacher organizations that were a part of advising the CDC on their policies. Name another. I don't know another organization that did. And maybe and, and this one I could be wrong about, but I've been looking and I can't find any. You look at um, the uh, Mountainside Fitness, you look at L.A. Fitness, you look at all the major gyms and chains and then the private ones around Arizona that were shut down a couple of times. And because of the national, you know, what was said nationally and what the national CDC advice was. And were any of those consulted? They weren't. They weren't. You know who was consulted? 
health experts. Where did the Arizona Department of Health Services get its advice? From the CDC. So there wasn't a consultation that was going on between industry leaders and the CDC on policy. There wasn't a conversation with the CDC and industry leaders in the gym industry and asking them, what can you do to keep your facility open so that people can come and work out at your gyms but still do it safely? Never happened. Never happened. And here we are. And what's funny about this is that the school closures seem to be unnecessary when you look at the numbers, um, and yet they fought the hardest to keep the schools closed. I love this story. That's why I keep telling it. So if you've heard me say it, bear with me. But one of the absurd things that they were doing, and it was so absurd that they called it off before they did it. During that week of protest, one of the things they were directed to do on one of the days of, of the week was they were supposed to videotape themselves reading their own obituary. And then they were going to compile the videos and send them to our governor because our governor was fighting to open the schools. And everybody went, and I got the list. I had the list. I posted the list online. Other people shared it online of every single day what the teacher organizations guided by the AFT were going to do. In protest of opening the schools. And one of them was recording your own obituary. It was mocked and laughed at so severely they canceled it. All of this happened. And now you've got them pretending like they were following orders, not helping to give them. And it's just not true. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on on a segment we call Did You Hear This? It's all the big news stories of the morning. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Been a weird news day. Let's get you caught up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Title 42 is coming to an end May 11th, and border towns have expressed that after Title 42 ends, they'll be overwhelmed with asylum seekers. Senator Kirsten Sinema told Arizona's Morning News she's pushing for a consequence regime from the Biden administration. If we can't demonstrate that people who come unlawfully will get returned to their home countries quickly, they're going to keep coming. And, and so we have to do, we being the administration, the administration needs to do a better job of saying, no, we meant it, you can't come, and then sending them back home. Is a consequence regime the right move for Arizona's immigration system? I think it is, and I and here's why. Because people are spending money at many times more money than they have. They're borrowing money. They're finding out they're indebted to the cartels in order to be brought here. So this is not just a time time thing. This is money that they don't have. Life savings and otherwise. It's very expensive for these people to come north with the opportunity to stay in America. But if they know that there is a better chance than not that they will very quickly be turned around when the risk is no matter is no longer worth the reward when you don't have a chance at the reward. I think it takes away the incentive. I think the senator is absolutely right. A bipartisan House panel questioned American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten Wednesday on teachers' roles in deciding to close schools during the height of the pandemic. 
Democratic Senator Jamie Raskin from Maryland said Republicans were wasting their time with this hearing. I've been to some weird hearings in this Congress, uh, Mr. Chairman, but this one might be the weirdest because it's convened in order to accuse a federal agency of the crime of consulting with American citizens. Was it wrong for the CDC to consult with the AFT? I don't know if consulting with the with them is the word that I would use. Cons- consultation is one thing, but when you're going them, when you are the experts on disease control, you're the center for disease control, and you're going to teach your organizations for policy on how you control a disease and a policy they will agree on, I think that's where they got out of line. I don't know of any other organization that they consulted with, such as the gym industry or the hair salon industry or other industries like that. I don't know that they did that. Doing this, they let the teachers' organizations help them set the policy. That's what people are upset about. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. House Republicans passed their debt ceiling bill Wednesday in a victory for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The president wants to make sure the debt ceiling is going to be lifted. Sign this bill. I know other bills that we passed you say you're going to veto. At the end of the day, you probably end up signing this one as well. But the bill has been called dead on arrival in a Democrat-controlled Senate. President Biden said he's happy to meet with McCarthy, but not about the debt ceiling, calling it non-negotiable. All things considered, is this enough for Biden to come to the bargaining table with the House? I, I don't think that there's a choice. In Arizona, there are, the Republicans are finding out in Arizona that when you have a Democrat governor, when you've, when you've been working with a Republican for so long, you find out that you've got to negotiate, and you've got to concede, that you've got to get what you can, that you're not going to get everything you want. And the same thing has to happen here. President Biden has to understand at this point, he is working with a Republican-controlled House. So he is going to have to make some concessions, just like the Republicans are going to have to. This is part of the negotiating process, and I think this is going to have to happen, or they're going to come to loggerheads, and all of us are going to pay the price. As the pass goes into the end zone for a Cardinals touchdown. The NFL draft kicks off today. Your Arizona Cardinals have the third overall pick. Arizona sports Ron Wolfley joined the show and explained what he wants to see the team do tonight. I'd love to see the Arizona Cardinals move down to number four, collect some picks, some nice picks, and still get the guy they want, Will Anderson. That's the guy that I would love to see them get. How do you see this draft playing out for the Cardinals? I think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to trade down. I think that the uh, that the Colts need to move up to that spot to ensure they get who they want, and we'll see if they do. I think they will, and so that some other team doesn't jump ahead of them and get that pick. And the other thing Wolfley said that I thought was a great thing is if they could trade down and get another pick, they could also maybe get someone like a Peter Skaronsky, who is a Northwestern uh, offensive lineman, and the guy is ab- an absolute beast. The Cardinals are in full rebuild mode. Let's be honest. They need a lot of places to be fixed and filled. I think they've got a new coaching staff. They have new front office management. I think this is a part of a rebuilding process. If you want the uh, the fans to be patient, they will be, but you have to show improvement and a new direction. So let's, that's what we're looking for, is that you are addressing ideas and showing us we are improving. Great job, Sonia. Uh, great job every time you do it. And uh, we're going to do it again tomorrow at 1120. Uh, the draft thing for me is exciting. I like watching the NFL draft. I am I watch the first round. I don't watch all the rounds, but I like seeing where players are picked. And I like seeing the reaction of the young players as they move into the NFL. And the chess game that happens as some pick gets traded so it, it triggers something else or a player comes off the board that someone else wanted. It is a fun process. Coming up in a moment, we're going to shift back to the economy. We've been talking about it all morning. 
morning. What does it mean with the GDP slowing down as significantly as it has? We'll talk about it next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, here are the details. The economy grew at 1.1% in the first quarter. Um, a recession could be on the way. People are concerned because of the dramatic slowdown. The performance marked a slowdown of a healthy GDP gains of 3.2 in the third quarter, 2.6 in the final three months of the year. And now we're seeing 1.1, which is a pretty dramatic slowdown. Now, a lot of people are saying pump the brakes on the concern that the This data also includes the data on um, the banks that failed, and so that could be contributing to this as well. And so I I thought this was an interesting uh, conversation only because what uh, what is the – uh, concern when we moving forward with this, uh, when we're seeing the GDP growing so slowly, are we going to see a massive recession? We don't know the answer. Now we got the debt ceiling conversation. President Biden says he's going to talk with Speaker McCarthy. The Speaker got a bill passed in the House, but they say it's going to be DOA in the Senate. This is, and there are many people that lament the um, inability of Congress to get things done. But this is also the way business is supposed to work. Here's one of the things I look at in our country about Republicans and Democrats. I'm always going to fight for what I believe in. Um, I'm a fairly staunch Republican, especially on fiscal issues. I'm a lot more socially libertarian as I get older. Um, I mean, I have my beliefs in right and wrong, but I don't think that the government should be involved in everybody's lives. They certainly I, – I don't need to know what's in your nightstand, so to speak. Um, but on fiscal issues, I think a smaller government is more efficient and – and uh, uh, bigger issues that need to be handled should be handled by the states and local government. That's my feeling on it. But I also understand that the two-party system, when it works as it's supposed to, is a, is a form of checks and balances. It's why I've always been in favor and will stay in favor of the filibuster in the Senate because it gives the minority party a voice where it's just a simple majority in the House. You can have the minority voice in the Senate stop a horrible piece of legislation. And what it prevents when it comes to laws is it prevents these huge swings every time an administration changes because what you end up seeing is if let's say it's a simple majority in the Senate to go along with the House and that's the way it is um, and you get the the uh, the Democrats controlling both chambers you're going to have big swings to one side of the aisle that when the Republicans take over they swing it back in the other direction but largely if they are a negotiation between both parties where neither party gives everything away but neither party gets exactly what they want it tends to be something that the country can live with as a nation. And it's not nothing's an absolute, but that's why when it comes to the debt ceiling, we know the Republican stance on things are going to be cuts in spending. And they believe in deficit, real deficit reduction, not just the math game that gets played. And Washington plays this game in both parties. Um, my favorite thing, and, and this is what they do, and, and, and the funny thing about this, if if you ran your business the way they run the government, um, If you ran your household the way they run the government, there'd be a lot more divorces than there already are. I want you to think about it. In most relationships, there is, uh, unless you're very, very fortunate, when it comes to money, there is somebody that's the spender and there's somebody that's the saver. And um, I'm the spender, by the way. I'm the spender. 
But what ends up happening if you I want you to think if you are the saver in that relationship and you go to your significant other and you say, listen, you ran up five thousand dollars in credit card bills this month. We can't afford you spending five thousand dollars on the credit card. You got to knock it off. We got to rein in our spending. And the next month the bill comes in and you've only spent two thousand dollars. You say I reduced our deficit by three thousand dollars. You didn't increase it by two. You reduced it by three because you cut three thousand dollars in the spending you were going to have. That's how the government reports cuts to spending, which is why we're almost thirty what two trillion dollars in debt. When it comes to the debt ceiling, and I know what's funny, what's there's so much hypocrisy in preaching on this issue for the Republicans because they have spent crazily too. There's no doubt, but at some point the American people have to look at this. There has to be an honest look at things. There are. I've done it in my life and my personal finances when I was younger. I think everybody's done it at one point where you believe you're going to outlive everything. Meaning, um, first time you get a credit card, you got a thousand dollar limit. And your money's tight with you. Next thing you know, you owe $970 on the credit card. You have no more credit available to you. And the minimum payment is more than you can afford. And then you start to do the math in your head. If I just make the minimum payment on this, um, this is how long it's going to take me to pay it back and how much interest I'm going to pay. I'm an idiot. And it teaches you a valuable lesson of living within your means, that having credit available to you doesn't mean you're living within your means when you use it to that extent. And it teaches you a disciplinary lesson. But what we're seeing with our government from both parties, it has to be both parties, is there is no discipline. And your grandchildren and my grandchildren, $32 trillion in debt, we're going to be paying for this for generations if we were to rein in the spending now. But when you see the programs in the areas that the Republicans passed for spending cuts, the Democrats in the Senate are never going to go along with it. So Speaker McCarthy has got to do the dance where he did to get something out of the House. He was able to get this bill out of the House. But the Senate is going to say no way. Now the Speaker's going to have a tougher job because he's got to get the Republicans to go along with what the Democrats changed or vice versa. And then we get the war of words. Republicans are going to shut down the government. We're not going to be able to keep our government opened. Remember when this happened during the Obama administration and a lot of people didn't even notice the government shutdown. I'm not saying it wasn't a big deal, but a lot of people didn't really even notice it. I went to Washington, D.C. We did an event. When I say we, I was a part of an event. It wasn't my event. It was Glenn's event. Um, I went and I at the invitation of Glenn Beck, I went with him to D.C. And um, there was a time when because of the, the shutdown that the park police and the people that work in the parks, the national parks, including the National Mall, weren't working. And so uh, he had – he hosted a cap- capital cleanup event. They set up a stage um, – at the Capitol building to us at our back and uh, gave a speech and everybody talked and then everybody grabbed garbage bags and tools and we walked the National Mall from the nation's capital all the way to the World War II Memorial and picking up trash as we went along. And um, it was a great event, but then we went into the World War II Memorial. Big fence around it, right? They're shutting all these memorials down because the government shut down. Except there's Capitol Police standing there letting people in. 
It was it was all this big kind of charade. The American people need to be done with the charades. They need to be done with the political theater. They need to be done with all of this uh, shell game of spending. And I, I'll be honest, all my years being involved in this, I don't know how we ac- accurately talk to the American people and then the American people hold others accountable in Congress unless we get more people voting. We've got to expand the electorate. We've got to expand it to people that are not entrenched in their politics, that are willing to make big changes, that are willing to say, if you're not doing the job, we're going to vote you out. If we don't, the same people are going to vote for the same politicians that do the same things every time they get into the office. That's just how it is. We've got one segment left. We're going to talk about something that I think was interesting. It's something that happened at the state capitol that uh, one legislator has apologized for. We'll talk about that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. A few minutes left in the show. Um, an Arizona Democrat apologizes for hiding Bibles at the state capitol. If you didn't see this, there was a representative from Tucson. Her name is Stephanie Stahl Hamilton and got caught on video. There had been some complaints because the Bibles in the House um, – Members lounge um, were going missing. Someone had put one of them in a refrigerator. They were hidden under uh, cushions of a couch. And so in order to catch the person that did this, they installed a camera inside um, inside the the lounge. And it caught this representative hiding the Bibles. Not the crime of the century, but she said the intent was never to be destructive, It never uh, to never desecrate or to offend. Um, it makes me a little uncomfortable, but I think it's kind of offensive to people who believe in and cherish the Bible, according to Travis Grantham, who is a member. Um, and uh, But she went on to say that she saw saw this as more of a protest. She said, I hold scriptures very dear to my heart. Um, It is what guides me. It's what shapes and informs the decisions I make. I have the utmost respect for people of all faiths and for people who choose to not have a faith. And because of that respect, I recognize my actions could have been something of as less than playful and offensive. So she did give a heartfelt apology, it sounded like. But she talked about it being kind of a a funny prank. She said, and I just took it and put it on the couch under the couch cushions. Uh, at the time, it just felt like a simple little prank. Um, she talked about she was sitting in the lounge for a few weeks ago and noticed for the first time in the room that a, that uh, a Bible, even though it was in a government building. This is the part I wanted to get to because the idea that religion doesn't have any place in a government building, you're living in a fantasy world. Um, our, our nation's capital, not just state stuff, um, our nation's capital is riddled with religious relics and references throughout the Capitol. Do your homework. And, and so I'm not I'm not saying that you have to be religious. I'm not I, I respect and I have friends that are uh, atheists, uh, the wonderful people. I, I'm not questioning their atheism. But the idea that we didn't have any kind of and our founding fathers wanted no religious references within our our nation's capital is a false narrative that is so easily disproven with just 
a very short look. I told the story earlier about what happened in the House of Representatives. It's my favorite example of this. The House chamber, which is not a big room. I've been in the House chamber for a State of the Union address. It was an amazing experience as an American to watch our branches of government come together. President Obama was president then. And um, I just the Americanism in that moment was such a cool feeling of being in that room. But on the wall, on the ceiling and the back wall behind the gallery, so at the highest point in the room, all the way in a semicircle around that room are cameos or profiles of great lawgivers throughout history. But in the center of the room, in the middle of the room, in a full face, and it's the only one that's full face, as if it's looking down at the speaker's podium, is Moses. So you can agree or disagree with whether it's, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian, whatever you want to call it. We throughout history have been and always will be, I hope, a theistic nation that believes in a creator. But it also makes allowances for people who have no belief whatsoever. And I respect that. I really do. I respect the atheist. I, I, I like to have the conversation with them. I have no disrespect for someone that doesn't believe in anything. But all of the other uh, faiths, religions, have an opportunity to be free in this country, and you have the right to express and practice your faith any way you see fit. That's one of the great, great cornerstones of our country. And our founding building, our capital building, references across Washington, D.C. and throughout the rest of the country. And then what we've done is systematically with this false narrative of separation of church and state is try to eliminate them. If you go to the World War II um, if you go to the World War II memorials throughout the country, if if you uh, when I'm or through the or throughout the world, if you go to when I was in France and I was in Normandy at the U.S. cemetery, um, it you walk out the door of the building and there's a quote from a general that says, "We only ask for enough land to bury our gallant dead." That's what it says on the wall before you walk out. When you walk out, all you can see are white crosses and stars of David. They are religious references in a federal grave in Normandy. Go to Arlington National Cemetery. That's exactly what you see. So we have had religious references throughout our history. The idea that a Bible in a government building is a violation of what the Constitution stands for is people that have absolutely no concept because that's what they've been taught. That's what they've been told. I wouldn't be offended if a Quran was in there, if a copy of the Torah was in there, if any other religious book was in there. Wouldn't wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. But when you sanitize faith-based books, I think you're doing a disservice to a big part of this country that does subscribe to one belief system or another when it comes to faith and a creator. And it's who we are as Americans, and I, I just think it was a mistake, and I'm glad she apologized, but I think she's uh, misguided, no offense, but misguided on the idea of the separation of church and state. All right, we're just about out of time. Uh, good luck to the Cardinals in the draft. I can't wait to talk about tomorrow with whatever decision they make. It should be an interesting draft, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning just after 8 a.m. So until then, have a great day, everyone. God bless.